friends in a movie. Two 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 friends in a movie. Big Man and Sixto. With Sixto and Nat. Big Man and Sixto. With Sixto and Nat. Yo, don't say hello when I'm insulting you. I know. I had a, I, I did it on purpose so you wouldn't jump I mean, all over my opening again. I'm insulting you. So I was like, why wow, this motherfucker is rambling about nonsense that no one's hello. listening to. Hello! See, I can do it too. Yeah, but yours sucks. Yeah. You should have heard, heard the reviews On the I got last week. On the hellos? People <laughs> were like, I, I almost instantly... Turned off the podcast <laughs> when I heard Sixto trumping your hello. Trumping? Don't don't ever put Trump and me in the same. That's sentence. what they were saying. This don't is not my it. words. Don't do it. They were like that MAGA <sighs> Sixto <laughs> trying to control everything. Listen to me. Uh, welcome everyone to Two Friends in a Movie. No, no. Listen it's- to me. Welcome everyone to Two Friends and a Movie with Matt and Sixto. This is a show where we talk about a movie. Anyways, listen, I'm gonna say this one time and one time only. I say hello better than you. Anyways, yeah, but it's done. You, it's com- it's, the conversation is over. Say anything. I play football better than Tom Brady. I I can say that shit. <laughs> Doesn't mean it means anything. <laughs> You mean on the PlayStation or like real football? Real football. No way. Yo, I was out there. It's happened. It's been said on tape. It's true. It makes it real. I've never heard Tom Brady say, I'm better than Matt Lamatina. Ev- not never once. You're right. Not once. Anyways, Matt and I are here to talk about a movie, and that movie is the movie that you've seen the poster, Napoleon. 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 Listen. I'm listening. You keep telling me to listen. This, that's this, what we're here. It's a podcast. That's all we could do is listen. You don't have to keep instructing us to listen. We know to listen. Okay. Listen. This is a movie about <laughs> Wait. History. Listen. Yeah. This is a movie. Yeah. Name Napoleon about Napoleon. Right. <laughs> the end. We're given Jewels of information this week the, on the podcast. Uh, d- d- so, great fucking title because the movie is about Napoleon. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean that's what happens in the movie, Napoleon's life. But I was I was surprised that it was his entire life, not because I don't think. Well, yeah, because you kind of can't cover his entire life in one movie, even if it is three fucking hours long. It's true. Um, yeah, and it was more of. The love story he had in his well, life. I would, when going into it, I was like, this is going to be all his battles. Like, yeah. we're going to focus on him, you know, ruling the world for the short period of time that he did. Right. Um, I wasn't expecting so much because you never hear. Like, I don't know much about Napoleon. I'm going to tell you. Obviously, if you never hear of Josephine, I know. What I've learned in what, like, 10th grade world history? Like 50 years ago. And what I got from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. (laughs) That's all I know about Napoleon. What learning you've done? Well, here, I I think because, Matt, we went to see this movie in the theater together, which is kind of rare for us, but we've done it. it was nice, you know? It was very nice. down low. Yeah, we said we hold hands, share popcorn. We had some some treats. Yeah, yeah. Um, And... I have to say, you have to say that when you, when we very f- f- automatically when we came out, the first thing Matt said was exactly this: "I wasn't expecting a love story." I However, I would I would argue, argue. it's not a love story. It's one hundred percent a love story. Hold on, Hold, let me finish my argument. No, you wanted to argue. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I would argue it's not exactly a love story. As much as it is a baseline to continue telling the story from one perspective. Because if you're going to go into the battles, then you have to concentrate into why every battle happens. And they skipped a bunch of fucking battles in this. It's just 
it's just a way to say, here's a rise to power to some degree unto whom he met this woman and this woman centered him to move forward in life. So I find that, uh, number one, a more connecting, uh, uh, what's it called? A technique to connect more with the public because I don't know what it's like to command a fucking army, but I know what it's like to fall in love. And I know what it's like to be in a relationship. All right, but you're wrong. I'm not wrong. Because the, the whole movie, from the moment he meets Josephine until he dies. Yeah. All he's doing is talking, writing, or mentioning Josephine. Yeah. When he's at war in Egypt, all he's doing is writing letters to Josephine and leaves Egypt early to go see Josephine. Because she's cheating when like a whore. In Russia... The same thing. Every day, he's just writing letters to Josephine. Yeah. When he's home, all he wants to do is see Josephine. Yeah. Uh, and I think if the pressures of having a child in that time period wasn't so great that none of the nonsense that breaks them up would ever happen, I think he was pressured by society and by, yeah. you know— Tradition By that he tradition, needs an heir because yes. he's the king, the emperor of France. That he needs someone to carry on that legacy, uh, and I think it's the only thing that breaks apart their marriage. And I think he wanted power. He liked control. He was good at uh, finding. Like he had a very new idea of how to do war, like mm-hmm. how to sneak up on people, how to make you know uh, dummies and make someone go right and really they should go left. Uh, so he was good at all that and that was his job and what he thought he was supposed to be. Yeah. But all he wanted to do is be with Josephine and be silly. Like he was like when you saw him not at war, when you saw him like at dinners and around the castle, like he was a child. He acted like a child. He had the mentality of a child. He just wanted to have fun and be with his love but but i i mean i don't disagree with that but what i'm saying is as a tool keeping the center of what he's storytelling centered in josephine and his love for josephine connects more with a viewer in a dramatic way that if he's just like i'm going to this battle and this is how i calculate how to do this fight like because that's kind of like, yeah, you're going to calculate it, you're going to execute it, and then what's next? What's next? Yeah, the, Josephine the is what's next. But, but that, and that's what I'm getting at. Like, I think that, number one, Josephine is more is a more constant in his life. He's it's the a, only really constant in his life. Right. And more so than power and politics, which are always changing and fucking moving around and destroying whatever the fuck you're doing on the other end. The love for the woman that he loved forever was more consistent and content and you can follow that through a straight line rather than politics which jump left and right and you have to accommodate this person and fight this battle to gain this and fight this battle and lose that you know what i mean i get you i understand you're saying they use it as a device to tell the story yeah which i guess is true but yeah. it still makes it a love story yeah yeah, but what I'm getting at is that I don't know that that's a bad thing. I just, I think that... I didn't say it was a bad thing. Oh, okay. I was just surprised. I thought it was going to be more about his wars and how his politics and stuff like that, uh, how he became the power, how he kept power and stuff like that, mm. rather than focusing on the relationship that he had with Josephine. I just, I... I I find it that like I'm not mad at it. I'm okay, just... I I just I find it that that uh, I don't know if it's a uh, problematic. I think that that it, it centers it. However, uh, I also think that that more than a love story per se, it was it was his perspective. Yeah, like the only thing that really mattered to him. I mean, he loved friends. He According loved, to him, he loved the army. And when he died, he said, like, you know, friends, the French army, uh, 
the the parliament or some shit like that and then he in Josephine. Like he didn't say like like three things. He said like four or whatever. He said France, army, Josephine. In the movie. But the in movie. but in real life he said like something else. He said like a fourth thing. I can't remember what it is. But But I no, see, I think he I think the military and the army life gave him purpose. But I think he loved Josephine. Mm. I think he thought his purpose in life was to lead France. And that was his, like, destiny or... Uh, in his head, right. Yeah, that's what he always thought he was meant to do. That's what his life purpose was. But I think the only thing he really cared about was Josephine. I mean, you're absolutely right because... Uh, and sorry that we didn't give you the plot of the movie, which we tend to do now, but go fucking read a history book. Yeah, I mean, it's Napoleon's life. That was the plot. <laughs> we kind of started with that, so... The plot, the end. Uh, is his battle... Is his... Is his is him as a as a it starts in the revolution uh the french revolution they're killing all of the fucking aristocrats then um napoleon comes into power because he kind of solves some problems that they have in france once that got resolved like they've 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 stopped cutting people's heads in the guillotine and then he they have england to worry about because england is in the port and they have to clear that out so that they can regain power of France, which was in a in an incapacitate in in cap uh, cap. It, they were in a fuck in a shitty <laughs> spot. I, I can't speak. They were in a shitty spot because politically they were fucking being destroyed from within. Yeah, and they didn't have generals. Like they had a bunch of politicians who knew how to run France, but they had no idea how to defeat England and push them off their land. Right. Uh, and he did. So once he did that, he gained traction with the people. He became popular. And then at one point, he had enough pull to be like, "Yeah, if he, you want me to do this, I'm no longer second in command. Yeah, I am now in I'm charge. I'm in command. And I think that th that's what the story is, is him defeating the French. Then him fighting for... England. Uh, he was the, French. I'm sorry, defeating the English. Then him gaining power by by getting rid of the second wave of mobs that were coming up because the French people were really like, yo, bro, like fix this shit. But they didn't know what to do, the French commoners. And in that, you know, like in real history, and I'm sorry if I'm going to do this a bit, but in real history, it wasn't just like people protesting that he shot with cannons in the streets. There was a militia that they shot in the that he shot in the streets because there were people with guns coming for yeah, it was a, the it was French a coup. government. It was a, yeah, it was a proper yeah. coup. But in the excuse me, in the movie they try to make it seem like there were like little women and kids and young men with their chest bare mm. open. I think they were, they were trying to show uh, with that and then his problems with Austria and his problems with Russia that he was a terrible politician. He was a great general. Yeah, he knew how to set up an army and defeat an army. Yeah. But he was a terrible politician because he had no friends. They, the Russian guy left him. The Austrian guy left him. In France, he had no friends. He had no friends. He had no political pull. He didn't know how to be a politician. Um, and then his demise was he started taking that personally. He was a terrible politician, so people weren't becoming friends with him. So Russia was teaming up with Austria and England and not teaming up with France. Yeah, he started being like, fuck you, you so, don't like me, I, I fucking blew you up. It became up. personal, he started right. acting revenge, and he, I think he got a little cocky as like, no, I'm the genius general here, these guys can't defeat me, no matter what they have, I find a way, and he right. caught up with them. It's very interesting also, well, and then what happens is Napoleon comes into power by being, they, the second coup that happens is within the government and Napoleon comes back from Egypt to say you know like this shit is fucked up France is going bankrupt we are not we don't have control and one of the guys that was in that meeting comes to him and say we got to take off you got to kick out these governments that we have right now and you me and two other guys must become the new government and that same guys whom in the future was like you have to now be like the, the super chancellor valor and now you're gonna be like it's another war for king yeah and he became an emperor and then he does the the fighting between england germany and and england russia and austria in austria 
and uh, I think that was the problem there was they went backwards. I feel if France would have proceeded with opening up the government like they started to do because they had three guys involved, they would have kept that pace yeah. uh, and just let Napoleon be, you know, Secretary of Defense and let him do armies. I think it would have been a lot different. But those back in the days, you... You, you didn't have that. They, I mean, there was a United States already, right? It was the beginning of the United States. It's very early. Yeah. Because uh, this happened at the very early of the 1800s. And Be, so, late 1700s to early 1800s. Yeah. So it's like the beginning of the, the United beginning States. Of the United States. I know that at the very beginning of the United States, they even had an idea of like, hey, man, uh, who uh, Benjamin Franklin, I think, was like, we should have a king. Well, the they United wanted Washington States. to be king. And Washington was like, no, no man should ever have ultimate right. power. Right. Um, which was the opposite of what they did in France. Is they started doing government and then they went backwards when but, Napoleon started getting so much uh, traction. popular popularity and people knew that he could save the country. Uh, so they made him emperor and that worked out to not be successful. But I'm, and, and to what the point that you're making, it's the growing pains of it all, right? Like they really didn't know what to do. The people had revolted and they've killed all the aristocrats. Not, the gov not just the government, but people with a lot of money yeah. because so many people were hungry. They and knew they didn't like what they had, but they didn't have an idea of what they what wanted. What to do next, yeah. right. And that's what I'm saying with the United States, too, that the United States had the same problem, that they were like, well, we're a new nation. What do we do? Like, how do we break this apart so it's a little bit different or, or like, nothing is, nothing is, not that the government that we have now is fucking any better than having a king taking everybody's tax money and doing whatever the fuck they want with it, but at least there's representation for your taxation mm -hmm. that we don't fucking look at who's representing us is our fault not the, not yeah. the governments that we have and then there's more problems down the road with that <laughs> but but ultimately i think that what this movie does very good uh it's not the history stuff obviously is showing you a narrative that you can follow that kind of makes sense. makes sense. And I think it humanizes Napoleon a bit. Yeah, yeah. Where, like, you think of him as this, like, brute who just came in, destroyed countries. Yeah. Uh, and didn't have any feelings, didn't really care. Um, so I think it gave him... You see an insecure man. You see a softer man. side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. see his insecurities. You see his love. You see how he struggled to get to where he was and what he wanted. Um, and I also think it shows you the what you talked about right after the movie is how different war was then <laughs> than it is now. Yeah. Like, he openly sacrificed men. Yeah. Uh, and it didn't seem like they could have left it out. They could have not mentioned it. It could be different in real life. But soldiers seem like they knew what their job was. Like, I'm, I'm going to die. die for my country, right. and I'm fine with that. Right. Um, so that's what they did. They were they were put out. Uh, as bait? Or... Pretty much as bait to, yeah. to be shot so they can get from behind and sneak attack. Um, and how they would just literally stand across from each other in a field and just shoot each other. Shoot each other. And how generals respected each other. Like, near the end, they're fighting the English in one of Napoleon's last battles. And his last battle. His last battle. Yeah. Um, and the English soldier has Napoleon in the crosshairs. He's like, I can take him out right now. And the English general's like, no, you don't. that's not how you do war. You don't shoot their general. No, right. You shoot the soldiers. You shoot the soldiers. <laughs> and you defeat him. Yeah, and the general's like, yeah, that's exactly right. They get defeated. Um, just shows how, like, nowadays, like, you hear, like, oh, we bombed this country and we killed a, a top man right. in this Al-Qaeda <laughs> or wherever it is. Like, that shit didn't happen back then. No. Uh, well, according to Ridley Scott, anyway, but, by this the way, didn't happen. By the way, my impression of this movie is that Ridley Scott hates Napoleon. Yeah, I think history, which is weird, because him and Caesar are, seem very similar in what they did. Yeah. They just came in. They thought only, well, Caesar thought only the, the Romans were 
special and everyone else could die. Yeah. And Napoleon was like, only French is special and everyone else could die. And right. it's not a, like they didn't shed a tear. They didn't. There was no empathy. There wasn't like, oh, those poor Russians are like, no, fuck the Russians. We're killing them. <laughs> um, but Napoleon does not get the love go nowadays as his Caesar gets. No. And, you know, but he's a big name. Like Alexander the Great, Napoleon, Caesar. Yeah. Those are three names that you will always hear forever. For for the rest of human history, right? Mm-hmm. For humanity. It's not just like their country. It's like the world knows who those three people are. And Christopher Columbus, right? Like those are four people that everybody knows. But And Matt Lamatina. No. And uh no. Tom and, Brady knows me now. Tom Brady does not know who you oh, are. Tom, I put him on notice, son. <laughs> Tom Brady cares so little about what you said. So little. He will beat you on PlayStation. Anyways, that, but I just, I have this thing, like, like number one, Ridley Scott shows Napoleon, which I thought was incredibly interesting. When Napoleon was going to go to battle the first time against the English, he was so stressed out. And you can tell. Mm-hmm. And every time he had to mount his horse and go to actual battle and go to, like, the front line, you can tell, which is incredibly realistic. But you think that these movies kind of like make gods and heroes out of these people. This movie doesn't do that at all. No, it humanizes them, like I said before. Like yeah, it but really like shows... to a limit that's way like way past like being a movie. It's just like no, this is how I would feel. Like the stress that this guy is feeling. If I had to command people to their deaths, fine. But the moment I have to be involved in this mm. fucking dying, I don't. I don't know that I'm so sure about this. You know. Yeah, you could see he he was. I think that's a theme throughout the movie is that he's a uh, an insecure man um who's has grand ideas and in the moment thinks but when push comes to shove and he actually has to do these things like even when he's having sex with his wife like he he looks like he doesn't know what's going on and he looks like he's unsure of himself and even when they can't have a baby, he's also into, like, am I the problem? Is this right. am I the reason why we can't have like he's just seems well toward Ridley Scott that he's always trying to prove something to himself, um, and you don't really get why that is. Like right. he's very attached to his mother. Yeah, they don't show a lot about his father uh, in the movie, but they don't know if he's trying to prove himself to his mother, to his father, to his country, like. He seems that he has an appetite or a uh, well, you know, something he needs to prove to somebody, but that person is never established, so he never, ever proves anything. Right, but like the idea of the Napoleon complex, I think is very well described in this movie. The idea of a man that seems himself very little, so he has to do extra to seem bigger. Mm-hmm. I think that that's really what they're, like what Ridley Scott really showing here to great to great extent in that he does so much so much so much to be like no i'm important i'm important he tries to marry the he tries to marry the sister in any of the sisters of the emperor of russia Mm -hmm. and the emperor of russia is like get the fuck out of here and then he tries to marry the sister of the emperor of of, uh austria austria and the emperor of austria is like what and it's just it's weird that that nobody seems to respect him nobody seems to everybody seems to fear him but they see him like you said as a brute like a guy that's like this guy's not smart enough to defeat us yeah like a dullard like yeah but then he defeats everybody so i don't get it i just i just i don't understand yeah it's it's weird it's a a weird uh complex because like I said, like he is a great general. He does defeat these people, um, but that and it seems like he's got one plan. Like he had this great plan. He knows how to defeat. But once the other armies figured out what he was doing, he had no counter no, no attack counter, right. for because that's how he lost in Russia. Then he lost with England. Um, once he was defeated, I think that that once he got defeated once. I think that everybody was like, oh, he's defeatable. And it's very, I want to say Trump-like, because uh, after the Russia battle, he lost, I forget what they said, uh, like 
200,000 men, something like that, mm-hmm, died. Mm-hmm. And they, they kicked him out of power and they exiled him. They're like, listen, like, you fucked up. You're done. Um, and then he was exiled for, I think they said, 300 days. And he came back and he saw a bunch of his old army platoon. And he didn't have to say much. He was just like, you guys, come. It's me. Come yeah, back it's with me. me. And like, I and miss it you. Was, it was very Trump like. They're like, oh, it's Napoleon. We love him. <laughs> we'll follow him anywhere. Right. Um, so that's what it seemed like. He had his niche of people who believed what he was doing was right. But the overall feeling in France was over. And I think that idea of imperialism for France was kind of over. Yeah, I think the French didn't want to go and conquer Russia and Austria and England. They just wanted to be France. That was his. That was his push yeah. forward because they already had Italy. They already had uh, uh, like the surrounding countries that was around him. Some parts of Spain, mm-hmm. right? That's why it was an empire. Uh, but you're right that that it's just it's weird that. He kept pushing. He kept coming back. He had people that would fucking die for him constantly, and they kept showing that. And the guy was failing. But I got, I, I got a, a question for you. I the, have an answer for you. The guy you just mentioned that he gets exiled. Mm-hmm. They were giving him like his ex-wife, who he, whom he divorced because she couldn't give him an heir. So he goes and impregnates some fucking eighteen-year-old girl, and now that he has a kid. They, uh, who, who knows if that was his kid? She was probably already pregnant, and they, get, mm-hmm. you know, because she was very rich and important. They were like, "Go fuck her," and then it's your kid. Um, yeah, it's not like they had like Maury those days. Who yeah, right. You yeah. all the like, <laughs> I had sex with you. You had a kid. It's my kid. It's my kid. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, and they say your ex-wife Josephine gets a million francs a year, exuberant a fucking amount of money. Mm-hmm. You get four million francs a year, exuberant amounts of money, and and you control this island. It's almost like you're the king of this little island that you're gonna live in. Mm-hmm. And he's like, nah, I'm gonna go take France again. Well, because he wanted power. Uh, I don't think things impressed him. Like he didn't want things. He yeah. didn't need. He he had no like money. Didn't seem like a desire for him. He knew that he he. he he wanted power. That's what he craved. He needed to be in control. And I think like his ex-wife got the money because that was something that was pre-planned before he was still in power. And I think France respected what he did, mm-hmm. but was done with them. So, so like, we're not going to throw you in jail. We're not going to ruin your life, but we can't have you here anymore. You're causing too many problems. Go to this disgusting rock that no one wants to live on anyway, yeah. and it's all yours. But we don't want you here anymore. I'm going to tell my company that I work for right now. If I fuck up and you're going to send me to an island with four million francs. Well, there's no francs anymore. With four million dollars. Mm-hmm. Listen, a million dollars a year. One million dollars. One million dollars. And you give my ex-girlfriend a hundred, five hundred million dollars. Okay. For her to retire too. I'll fucking take that. You would, but that means nothing to him because he had. Like, you wouldn't take that. I would take it, but I think he was so disillusioned. Yeah, that he was so used to a lifestyle that that money had no value to him because he just took whatever he wanted. And also the fact that Russia, how how the emperor of Russia defeated him, was so humiliating. There was so much desertion and so much he yeah. lost so much trust around Europe because of how he lost. And you saw uh, when he invaded Russia the first time and they got to Moscow and they burned down the city, uh, the Russians burned down their own city, he looked upset. He was like, they'd rather burn down the city than come see me. Mm-hmm. Like all he wanted, I think, was that respect The and recognition, love, yeah. Yeah, of being – and then later on you see him in a meeting, like we talked about before, with uh, the Russian czar Alexander – I mean Tyler um, – and all he wanted to do is be friends with them. Like he didn't care. Like he gave, he forgave him for the past disrespect of what happened earlier, and just wanted to be buddies. Yeah. And he didn't want to be buddies with them. Uh, so he just they didn't show it, 
But I think those type of things were kind of Ridley Scott's hints, like he's a terrible politician. Yeah. He's not he was childish, so adults didn't want to be friends with him. He was petty and he was yeah, he was petty and, and immature. Yeah. And and uh what's it called? And, and insecure as fuck and he showed. Yeah. But also when you talk about Napoleon, most of the times you talk about how many victories he had. At the end of the movie, after Napoleon dies, what they show at the end for uh, for a, uh, a screen ender is how many people died in his battles. <laughs> so to me... Three million. To me, Ridley Scott was like, this guy wasn't as great as you think he was. Like, I'm not celebrating Napoleon. <laughs> I'm just telling you he wasn't as good as you thought he was. Three yeah, million I, people. Back then, there were like five million people on the planet. In 22 <laughs> years. Like I said, it was something like 1797 to 1815, something like that. It was like 22, 23, 23 yeah, yeah, years yeah. where he lost three million people. It's crazy. In almost needless wars. Yeah. Like the first war against England to get them out of their ports was, at the time, I guess a necessity because England was blocking their ships. It was hurting their trade. So that was something that needed to be done. But he didn't need to attack Russia. He didn't need to attack England the second time. He didn't need to go after Austria. Uh, It was his... It was pettiness. And the insatiable urge to have more power is controlling France isn't enough. I need to also control Russia and also control these other nations. Um, It was that imperialistic lifestyle. Like He took note from Caesar and... England at the time, who yeah. was all over Asia and Africa, that this is what he needed to do. This was the blueprint that was set before him. This is what great countries and great leaders do. This is what I need to do. Yeah. Um, and I don't think France wanted that. Uh, they well, didn't at ha- the, the time, people, they, they couldn't handle it. They couldn't, but I don't think the people had the mindset of imperialistic nature. They just, we're France, leave us alone. Just let us be France. We're we're fine here. Uh, maybe which... maybe at the end, but at the beginning, I think they were very happy that they were showing power and strength. I I just I think that after like the like at, at the middle of his reign, when they were like, "Hey man, we already got Italy. We got all this fucking room. Like we're fine. Stop picking fights." I guess I I got a different I got a different impression. I just got that they wanted to drink and paint and be happy. Yeah, and I think that's mostly what really Scott is showing. I don't think I don't know who, like who knows how people yeah, who knows? Really felt. Uh, I mean, but he was liked and he was empowered for a long while. So it's not like he was. But you're right that if he would have been the Secretary of Defense, and they would have never let him pass that position, mm-hmm. and being like, no, I want to be king, they would have been like, no, no, we don't do kings anymore. Yeah, we okay. do this. We have these guys. These guys rule the fucking. He country. needed some guy. He was a child who needed guidance, and this is what happens. When you let child run the country, yeah, you get childish things. You get childish thing, and I found also interesting that, uh, to your point, even though I don't like to make your point for you, Josephine, when he breaks up with Josephine, is when they start showing him losing power and control. Like if Josephine was his only balance, it was his rock. Yeah, it was his his, his grounding. Uh, yeah, and he started being erratic and not making the best choices. I also got to ask you. This is a scene, because I didn't get this. I mean, I guess I get it, but it was weird to me. There's a scene where Napoleon comes back. We mentioned it before. He's in Egypt fighting, blowing up fucking pyramids, pyramids, which never happened, but okay. And he comes back to France because his wife's cheating on him, Josephine. Mm -hmm. And he comes back to be like, I can't believe you're cheating on me. Like, you need to stop being a whore. You need to say that you need me and that you ain't shit without me. And Josephine says it. She's crying. She's like, don't leave me. I need you and I ain't shit without you. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the next scene is her telling him, you ain't shit without me. You need to say that you need me. You ain't shit without me or your mom. Mm-hmm. And it was so such a weird, like, exchange of things. Because I think that at the moment when that's happening, she wouldn't. I don't know where she got the balls to just tell him, like, I know I cheated on you, you caught me, you came back, and you take away everything that I have. But now you're going to tell me that you ain't shit. Because I think Josephine 
was one much smarter than Napoleon. Yeah. Um. So she knew how to manipulate him. Is he's hurt? I need to make him feel better. So I'm going to say what I need to say to make him better or worse to make him feel better. Is that he was hurt that I cheated, so he needs to know that he's in control and mm. he's powerful, and I'm going to bow down to him. So right now, that's what I'm going to say. Right. But two hours later. But two hours later, when she sees he's insecure and coming back to her, she knows she's back in control. It's like you have a fight with your girlfriend, you know. The, the, yeah, I don't fight my girlfriend, bro. Sometimes the power shifts a little bit. I don't. Ha- I don't fight with my girlfriend. I'm when always. I'm always in power. You're never in power. <laughs> And when, you know, you did something wrong, you're like, shit, now I got to say I'm sorry. And then, you know, they're in control. But she knew how to manipulate him and how to use him, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think once he calmed down and things got back to even, she had to remind him, like, no, I'm... You know, I'm I'm the shit here, There was that. I also think, because I showed it a little bit, uh, I think it was a kink for him. Mm Because she was like... When she like touched herself and he grabbed grabbed his hand and made it put it downstairs, he was like, "This is yours." Like I think it was a little bit manipulative, manipulative, and a little bit of a king. I think he got off on being submissive sometimes during sex because he was always in power and control. That was the only time he could let go, yeah, and let her also, control her. Also, really, Scott really showed Napoleon of being a really bad lover. Like every time he's fucking Josephine, she looks bored. And waiting for it to end, like five, four, three, two, done. Get out of here. It's so weird. I think it was to show how childish she was and that he, he couldn't be a man, quote unquote. Is... Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like, it's really Scott, like, really didn't like Napoleon in this movie. Unless it's, it's like, I don't know if that part's true and what. What was uh, the reasoning behind it? It's just, it's weird, A, and B, I think the reasoning is more likely than not that Ridley Scott really doesn't like Napoleon. (laughs) And, you know, like... He doesn't like him enough to make an entire movie out of it. Yeah, to show how much he dislikes him. (laughs) He he hates him so much that he starts to like him and comes full circle. Yeah. I I also, you know, like, he's very interesting. Uh, um, Vanessa Kirby, who plays Josephine, Great job. I think the acting is very good in this. I don't I know do. if he's amazing. I'm a big fan of Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, I like most of the things he does. Yeah. Were you not into this? I was into it. Uh, I liked it. I was just saying in general, I like Joaquin. Uh, going yeah. into it, I liked Joaquin Phoenix. So my opinion might be skewed a little bit just because you I like enjoy him, so much, him right? as an actor to begin with. Um, I, I feel like, I feel like, if anything, this movie the best thing about this movie is A, the acting, like, at the top. The acting was very good. And B, like, the effects in battle. And then, like, D is, like, C is directing and D would be, like, the story. I think, like, this movie wasn't as amazing as I, as it could possibly have been. It's just a Ridley Scott movie, which makes it a really good watch. Mm -hmm. But for for two hours and 50 minutes, it felt more self-indulgent. It felt more like a vanity project from Ridley Scott than a movie that Ridley Scott had to do and be successful at. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Slightly. I mean, I did enjoy the acting, and I did. I really liked the battle scene. I thought the battle scenes were all yeah, done yeah, yeah. really, really well. Yeah. Um, so I thought all that was great. I liked the behind-the-scenes kind of pull back the curtain a little bit on who Napoleon really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked how they did that. Um, as a vanity project for Lee Scott, maybe I really didn't see that going into it. Um, for two hours and fifty minutes, there were some parts that I was like, right, "I'm getting a little bored here. Let's move on." Yeah. But for the majority of the movie, it didn't feel long. Uh, no, it did. I don't think it did. But I just think, like, ultimately. Ridley Scott wanted to show the battles that he wanted to show. Like, why wouldn't you show the battle in Italy where he actually takes power of something? Because I, I think most of the movie was the downside of Napoleon. I think maybe maybe he does have a, a thing against Napoleon. Maybe he didn't want to show 
what history thinks he's so great at and really wanted to show the things history kind of leaves fight. out. Yeah. Like, he really wasn't as good as you think he was. Right. Like, we have to show you a little bit of how he came to power just so you understand how yeah, much of a downfall sense. it was. Yeah. Uh, but I think they focused on the, the the bad points of Napoleon. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I And I think that ultimately, like we've mentioned already twice, is more about humanizing somebody that you think is so great you couldn't touch him, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you think about Caesar and Alexander the Great, you think about almost myth, it's, they're almost mythological, and he falls into that. Oh, 100%. And I think that it was very good to see like an aspect of him that is like, no, man, this is a guy. This is a guy that just had a lot of power, but he's in, as insecure. Like who else would do that? Who else would manipulate the public to think that he's amazing? Mm-hmm. And even if he gets exiled or arrested or put in trial for not paying taxes, then still goes out and says to the people, hey, I'm still fantastic. Who else does that? Or the Napoleon. Donald Trump. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, um, so maybe Ridley Scott just hates Donald Trump and really wanted to be like, we're saying it's Napoleon, but, but really, it's really kind of like this guy. Except Donald Trump never fucking won a single battle. So, you know. Not in war, but he did become president of four years. I guess. Um, I got to mention, out of all of the battles, not the battles themselves, but... This, in the first battle that they show against the England in the port, there's a fucking cannonball that blows up his fucking yeah. horse. And that shit was like, holy fuck. And at the end of that battle, because he is victorious, he takes the cannonball out of the horse. He sticks his hand inside the fucking horse chest, pulls out the cannonball, gives it to his brother and says, this is for mother. <laughs> yeah, it was. that was a weird scene. It was so fucking crazy. And it was a, it was a rare showing of confidence yeah because as the horse got knocked down he was shaking he was nervous uh and i think just what people were around him looking at him got him to get up and jump up and finish the battle but then afterwards he's like i did it i'm the fucking man yeah i think he was a little surprised with himself and showed that 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 rare glimpse of confidence he was so lucky that the Cannonball wasn't a little bit higher because he would have been fucking dead immediately. It would have been no Napoleon story. B, the moment he climbed up that wall because he was climbing up a wall to get up to the to, to jump the, the castle, port, yeah, yeah, to the port. Uh, um, that's a uh, not a castle. It's a uh, it was a fort. A fort. A fort. Like he gets to the top of the fort. The moment he gets on top of the fort, he almost gets killed if he wasn't for the guy behind him mm-hmm. that killed the guy that was going to kill him. His brother actually, his brother saves him, but he's the one that gets all the praise. The same thing in the last battle. When the when the like you mentioned, like the English soldier is like, I have him in my sights, and the English general is like, shut the fuck up, you can't shoot the fucking general. <laughs> and I think that I think that he still takes a shot. Remember? Yeah. Afterwards, why why he's in the cavalry charging, he gets shot and hits his hat. Uh, maybe that was to show that he's lucky. That's it. Like Napoleon was who he was. Because of kind of luck. <laughs> like, he very easily could never been anyone you ever heard of, ever. Ever. Um, uh, in the world. Uh, so maybe that was part of it. Maybe he rose to power, he had good timing, and he had a little luck. Hey, man. And he knew how to fucking drive cannons. Yeah. Hey, 60 degrees down. Now shoot. And in that last scene, now, to me, it seemed very ridiculous uh, I'm giving Ridley Scott the benefit of the doubt that he did a little research mm-hmm. and these things kind of happened is the last battle, it's England versus Napoleon's men. Uh, this is the second time he came to power. So it's not all of France. It's just like the little niche of people who decided to stick with Napoleon. And he's fighting England and he's got to do it quickly because another country is coming in to help England. And they're battling and the English soldiers form a square. Yeah. Uh, and then the French are just kind of like running around the square getting shot at. Right. And to me, it just seemed like, why would you continually just run around <laughs> the square? This is the... the and what? he's like, we can't penetrate the square. And they're just getting shot and they're picking, picked off one by one. Yeah. It just seemed like, just keep going. Like, they're, they're stopped here in the square. They're not going to chase after you. You can keep invading. But you can't move past them because then they'll move forward and they kill Napoleon. So I mean, that's Waterloo. And Waterloo is a bit... It, it was a 
technique that the English did because they were they have been fighting the same way f since guns were invented. Mm -hmm. So now they decided if we make a square, the horses can come in because it's a square. So you would hope that nobody would get past the front because they're inside of a square getting shot at. So no one would be stupid enough to try to break the square. Uh -huh. I get the idea. It was just to watch it was like ridiculous. Yeah, but I mean, that's Waterloo. That's these... what happened in Waterloo. That's what I'm saying. I'm giving the benefit that this is what actually happened. I want to do some research and see if... I believe like that's this, true, yeah. Like, it just seems so ridiculous to continue. Like, does it show, like, how incompetent some of these people were? Does it show that back then, whatever the order was, you just do it and you don't ask questions? Yeah. I, because I, it was a losing technique. Like, they were getting shot at one by one. I also think that it was it was a a new tactic in war when you've been fighting the same way for 200 years. Nobody knows what to do with they that. They definitely were surprised because they were like, we can't do this. We can't do this. And I'm not challenging history or trying to come up with a different reason. It just was ridiculous to watch. Yeah. Horses running around this square <laughs> getting shot at. And for them to just be like, what do we do? What do right. we do? And, and I believe and what I'm trying to say is that I think they were trying as best they could or trying to figure out exactly what to do, but they couldn't disengage. So instead of disengaging, they were like, uh, I, well, uh, pop, I, you got shot. <laughs> I, I think it showed that Napoleon, or I think it was trying to show that Napoleon wasn't as good. Bad improviser as history may have showed him was, is he had a good idea to begin with, but that was all he had. Bad improviser. Yeah, like once you change your technique, he had no counter punch. He was like, I'll punch you once in the mouth, and if it knocks you out, I win. But if you get up and punch me back, I'm fucked. <laughs> I, I I guess. I mean, Waterloo is, a, is, a, is very famous because it was the defeat of Napoleon and you know like it was a new technique and i also think didn't it seem like ridley scott wanted to make the british look super heroic too yes you could definitely tell he was on the british side uh i mean you can tell that he's actually british that he's like yeah we're better uh-huh napoleon <laughs> so there's there's it might be some uh nationalistic pre uh, <laughs> and, and prejudice involved right. in this is that I'm not giving Napoleon the benefit of the doubt. He was a dummy, but he got lucky and was here at the right time. And that's right. the only reason why he was what he was. But he couldn't beat the British because we're better. We're better. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, British had an empire and France really didn't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Brits have the Brits have colonized the entire planet. The entire, I mean, it was Caesar and then it was... The British Spain, Empire, yeah. and then it was the British Empire. British. But like but France the, doesn't really fit in there. But like you're right, like the the Brits went all the way to Asia, which the Spanish never did, and all the way down Africa. I mean, France they, had part of that, but yeah. not in the, but the not, mass quantities that the English had. No, and and the Brits had, like the Spanish and the Portuguese and the British had America, the Spanish and the French and the Portuguese and the and the British had Africa, but the English had Asia. You and know, Australia. Like, and Australia, like nobody, this has never been a bigger empire from a little fucking island compared to all the continents. You know? Oh, 100%. Uh, <laughs> and I think English, I think some of the old school English are very proud of that. I think yeah. new school English seem to be a little ashamed of their history. Yeah, I mean, they killed a lot of people and they're very racist. And they stole yeah. a lot and they yeah. uh, have made some countries who could have been something very poor by yeah. stealing all their resources. Yeah. Uh, so I think as more and more of that comes to light, people are a little more ashamed where the older people are like, no, we fucking yeah, did we're it. Fucking England, yeah, we were England. We took what we wanted, <laughs> um, which is kind of the mentality back then. I think that kind of shows what the world was, yeah, uh, in the eighteen hundreds. Well, here at Two Friends in the Movie, Matt and I, that's right, we have a system. We do much like Napoleon. We aim our cannons up and low, and we shoot. Boom! And we nail it every time. Every time we nail it, Matt. 
Yes. In our six-toe system, zero toes being without remorse, six toes being the Batman. Where do you... <laughs> that was a little side-eye for you right there. <laughs> Where do you put Napoleon? I think... I'm going to shoot it right down the middle and give it three toes. Okay. Uh, as a movie itself, I enjoyed it. I wasn't disappointed with the movie. I liked it. Um, as you dive more into it and try to learn a little bit about Napoleon, you're like, all right, this wasn't really what happened, and this isn't so accurate. Uh lose a little bit for me. Um, I think you could easily cut out... 20 to 40 minutes of this movie and not really miss much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those type of things take away a little bit. But overall, I thought the acting was very good. Like I said before, I thought the battle scenes were really good. Uh, and I thought pulling the curtain back and kind of seeing a little more of Napoleon as a human was good. Uh, so uh, right down the middle, three three toes. I uh, I find that this movie, for me, Mrs. Mark in that it indulged too much on all of the things that Ridley Scott wanted. So it wasn't really truly a romance story because he had too much battle. But it also wasn't like a battle movie because he had too much romance into it. They kind of like one kind of kills the other. In so you're telling ends. me he didn't know what it wanted to be. I, I, not, yes. And I know what he wanted to do was tell Napoleon's story, and he did. So he's successful at that. But I think the way that he's telling it is unsuccessful. And I think that I could have done more, like if you're going to give me a political intrigue with battles, that works way better than a political intrigue with a love story in it as the main as the main heart of the story. I thought if it would have been just the love story with a, a few battles in and there, and it would have been that was the focus of the movie, or the, his political empowerment and the throne, I, and it would have been two hours and instead of 256, it would have been a much better movie with either one of those subjects or a much hated movie. Like he just, that's why he falls in the middle for you. He falls in the middle for me. Rotten Tomatoes puts it at 59 and 58. It's almost never do people and the, the Yeah, do they agree? Agree to this level. Now 59 and 58 is about a four-toe movie, right? And I think that's where it kind of falls to me. It's at three and a half toes. I I think that it's a little bit better than mediocre. It's a little bit better than a common movie. It's really beautiful. It's really well acted. It kind of loses. Like, I, I feel like if I would have seen this at home, I probably would have enjoyed it a lot more. But I don't know that that's true because I think if I watch it at home, I lose interest very quickly. Yeah, I could see that. This kind of keeps your, it makes you stay focused because yeah. that's the only thing going on. Uh-huh. Um, I think the lesson here is don't take your history from Hollywood movies. Don't. Because Braveheart has him marrying a lady in France. That was nine year olds when William Wallace was killed. So you know, so there's probably not true. There's nuggets <laughs> of true history in this movie. Yeah, but the grand scheme of things, you take it with a grain of salt. It's a movie. It's not. Yeah, it's not it's, a history lesson. At the it's end of the day, it's an entertainment movie. Yeah, for entertainment and for money. Right. Uh, so if you want to learn about Napoleon, go find a documentary or read a book about Napoleon. Right. But if you want to be entertained about Napoleon, if you want to be entertained with the background or like the basement of your house being the truth <laughs> and the rest of it is just nice things. Right. That's kind of what this is. That's kind of what this is. I mean, it, the movie costs $200 million to make. It shows. Even like, that, I'm surprised. There's going to be more than that. It, right. It's Like, it's well-spent money. It looks really fucking good. It's really well shot. You can tell it's directed by a really good director. Um, but it's only made $137 million worldwide so far. That's not good. That's not good. Uh, it's not, it, it, yeah, you can tell that nobody wants to see a movie about Napoleon, even in Ridley Scott. It, directed it did it. come out flat, um, and you, you know what? It, it's that's the problem when you don't with a mediocre movie, right? As it's if it's really bad, you can kind of flip it and people go see it, like, oh, this is so bad, I got to see it. 
or the same thing if it's really good. But when it's in the middle, that mediocre mediocrity, people are like, yeah, I can miss this one. No one gives yeah. a shit. Who cares? No right. one's talking about it. No one's talking about it being bad or good. So it doesn't matter to me. Yeah, and now that you heard this, you definitely not seen it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're a fan of Ridley Scott, if you're a fan of Joaquin Phoenix, or if you're a fan of history, I would go see it. Yeah. But if you're, you don't really care too much about history, you don't really care too much about Ridley Scott or Joaquin Phoenix, uh, you could probably pass it and wouldn't feel bad about it. Yeah, you won't you won't be missing much. Anyways, listen, we have a few more weeks left of the year. Oh, it's the holiday season. But it's the holiday season. We'll see what we'll do. We got to come up with some sort of holiday-ish yeah, movie. As long as it's not fucking Christmas with the Campbells. I'm willing to watch any fucking movie. Are you sure about that? No, I'm not sure. Or, or at the quality of Christmas. Of because the there are a few horror Christmas movies that we could do. Like well, Violent Night or something like that. I know you scare easily. I do scare easily. And would watch it through I don't like your gore. fingers. I don't like gore. Look, my it's hero for Christmas... It's, it's horror. Look, this, I would like to do a horror film. Like? Like Violent Night or some other of these movies that recently came out about... I feel like every holiday now gets a horror movie. Like there was that Thanksgiving movie that just came out yeah. that was a horror movie. Uh, there was a, a Valentine's horror movie. So I feel like every... Every holiday now gets a horror, horror movie. Uh, so we're going to talk about this amongst ourselves, and you'll see what happens on the next podcast. Yeah, man. If I there's mean, one. Listen. I mean, we didn't give you one for two months, and now we gave you two back-to-back. Two back-to-back. Stop fucking We're worrying. all about the element of surprise. That's what That's what, That's what. what we do. You. I told you last week. I'm going to tell you again. You knew what this was when you got with me in Matt. You knew, you knew what this was. So back the fuck off. Listen, I'm going to vote right now in public for Candy Kane no. Lane. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Request so denied. This looks so fucking bad. <laughs> I can't. I. This yeah. may come to surprise to you. Yeah. I. Do not like these over-the-top, family-oriented, touchy-feely holiday movies that wants to make you feel good and shows how kind the world is yeah. and how giving everyone is. It's fucking false. The world's <laughs> not like that. I don't want to be a part of it. I want to see some guy... In a messed up Santa suit, killing people. All right. I mean, we might do that. But otherwise, don't worry about it. We're going to keep you guessing when the next podcast is. You might get something for the holidays. You might not. Hey. You might just get a regular movie because there's some more regular movies that I really want to say. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe you, we'll just skip Christmas this year. You, maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Imagine that. Imagine that. Imagine that. Anyways, thanks for uh, stopping and listening to us. <laughs> you almost went there, man. Uh, and if you went there, I would have to go there. I know. Thanks for, for listening to us and giving us your time. Uh, listen, in, tell your friends to listen to our podcast. So yeah, we can get come on, assholes. And, tell uh, somebody. Tell anybody. If you tell two friends and they tell two friends and they tell two friends. We got a lot of two friends. That's well, a lot of two friends. And you could do it yeah. like... We could do like a theme party. Like everybody brings their two friends and you could go watch. You could go listen to two friends in a movie with your two friends. <laughs> but we also your two friends. We're just not there with you. And we're already doing all the fucking work. Yeah. Just fucking tell just somebody. listen, man. Yeah, man. And uh, uh, yeah, man. See you next time. See I don't know you. how to end this. Just yeah, We have to come up with a close. Like I had a close and you hated it. But it was a close. Nonetheless, <sighs> just cue the music. Good night, everyone. Two friends in a movie. Two friends in a movie. 
win many six With six and nine. in the movie.